At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen for the Makers of Minnesota. Thank you for podcasting us. We really appreciate it. We are on episode number 61, and I'm really pleased to introduce Pam Powell, who is the salad girl. I can vividly remember, Pam, meeting you for the very first time. I remember you the first time. Do you? I do. You were one of the first people that, so we started the radio show Weekly Dish that's about food. Stephanie March and I have a show on My Talk 107.1 on Saturdays from 9 to 11. And you were one of the first people I ran into you at the Mill City Farmer's Market. You had a really cute booth and you were selling salad dressing. And you looked right at me and you said, oh, I listened to you on Saturdays. You were like one of the first people that actually said they listened. And and I was like, oh, my gosh, someone cares that we're doing this show. That is so great. I felt like I'd arrived. That's really cool, Stephanie. Well, I'm a foodie. Yeah. So I like I like to listen to all the foodie channels and shows on the weekends. Can you believe Lynn Rose at Old Casper just retired? I didn't know she did. She did. She retired just last. They're having an. They had an event for her last weekend, and um, just gave up the reins to her show. But wow, what did she give them over to? uh, Alec Frederick Lamb. No, Alex Lamb. Someone Lamb. um, Who I can't believe I can't think of his name, but. He's done. He's he. He'll be fine. He does a good job, but it's just different, you know. Well, everybody's soft voice. Yeah, and everybody's got their own personality. And it wasn't until she did a radio show that anybody concepted the idea you could talk about food because it's so visual. Sure. You know, we'd had food or TV shows, but not food radio shows. Right. Right. I never thought of that. That's really true. So let's talk about um, salad girl salad dressing. You and your husband Jim. He was a painter, and you were, do you mind? I've called you kind of a hippie chick. Do you mind? No, absolutely. I was, both of us were hippie chicks. Okay. Hippie, hippies. (laughs) He wasn't a chick, (laughs) but he was a hippie. He's a metro male. But he went, Jimmy went to um, Heritage Culture School at 916, so Century College back in the 19, late 70s. So he was really into growing, he had a farm. He lived on a farm with a bunch of guys out in Lake Elmo, and they had an organic garden. Of some sorts. <laughs> they grew vegetables and other things. So it was, and I think it was a clothing optional farm. So wow. He was a nudist super too. Yeah, and they had a great little place. We um, still cross-country ski there. But there's a place um, where you can, you know, skinny dip and, yeah. and swim, a swimming hole, and just a beautiful place. But that was one of the things that attracted me to Jim, was that he was really into um, foods made um Fresh, foods made whole, um, foods grown without pesticides. It was so really cool. when did you first start making salad dressing? I started making dressings when I, Jim and I, when we first met, 
I was working as a private chef out in White Bear Lake for a household. And um, the household, the owner of the house, my boss, was kind of a vegetarian. She was a pescatarian. Okay. So she would Fish. eat, yes. So she would eat only brook trout from the Brule River. And it had to be prepared a certain way. She had her own farmer, and her farmer would grow all the seasonal vegetables and fruits in the summertime. And then in, in the wintertime, she would go to Florida. But by the time I started working for her, she was kind of stopping um, going to Naples mm-hmm. and was deciding to stay in Minnesota. So she um, ended up renting during the winter an apartment with all of her bridge friends down at Kellogg Square. Neat. And she had the top apartment. But she loved salads. It was her favorite thing. And um, I also loved salads. I worked at as a little salad girl when I was um, in about 15. I think I was a sophomore in high school up at Mad- Madden's Pine Beach Lodge. Sure. And I was a dishwasher first. And on my um, between loads of dishes, I got to go over and I was tasked to um, assist the salad girl. Yeah. She was a college girl. She was an older girl. Her name was Katie. And she was a hippy dippy girl. Sure. And she was an art. She was a sophomore in college at the University of Minnesota. She was an artist. So we would sit and she taught me how to peel. We had peeling carrot um, contests and rose radishes and peeled potatoes for the kitchen was a kitchen that made um, home cooking. So we made um, homemade, I think, um, chicken soup and coleslaw and mashed potatoes fried trout, and all sorts of Minnesota things, you know. And so how did you, do you remember when you made your first dressings, or how did you learn how to make dressing? The best thing about helping Katie is that she taught me how to whip up salad dressings. I learned to emulsify from Katie. It was hysterical. I learned how to make vinaigrettes, and I learned how to make creamy dressings. I learned how to make French, Roquefort, you know, all the blue cheese. We did everything from scratch there. Um, One of my favorite dressings was the vinaigrette that we used for and it was made with fresh onions and vinegar and a little bit of sugar and salt and pepper. That's and a it. Bit of oil and that's it. Yum. And it was my favorite, sweet and sour, and kind of the route that I started going towards. I'm a vinaigrette girl, and I loved making vinaigrettes. And I thought, wow, there's a few twists on this one. So as time went on, um, I started eating. I learned how to eat. She was vegetarian. She mm-hmm. was vegetarian. I learned from Katie how to eat vegetarian. Course, I became a vegetarian. Yep. And so um, veggies and raw foods were like my go-to thing. And are you still a vegetarian? No, I'm okay. not. Not at all. I eat um, any locally grown anything and locally. Um, I love um, the grass-fed beef. I yep. love um, local. Peter's and limousine yeah. beef. Oh, yeah. they're opening love, a butcher um, shop. Air chicken. Now yep. I've got an organic chicken breast. I love. I eat a lot of fish. Yep. And... And a lot of fruits, vegetables. So one of the things about Salad Girl that's interesting to me is you you wrote a cookbook eventually. Uh um, And in that cookbook, you talk about this mantra that you have. So tell me about your mantra and why you think. Because what I loved about the mantra is it's so versatile. Right. right. So tell me your Salad Girl mantra. So I think that um, making a salad is almost like making a centerpiece. I like it to have color and texture and um, and different flavors, contrasting flavors. Um, my salad girl mantra is greens, fruits, um, vegetables, cheese, nuts, seeds, salad girl. 
And why do you need, like, one of the things I learned about in reading your cookbook, there's acid in a dressing, so that can be like citrus or vinegar, and there's oil, obviously, to emulsify it, but then sweet is kind of a big component for you. How did you land on that, or that that was the concoction, and what was the first dressing you made? sour. Yeah. That was, at the coleslaw dressing at uh, Madden's, it was pretty sweet, and I stopped eating cane sugar. Uh Uh-huh. Um, right around after that summer and stopped eating candy and stuff and started um, incorporating honey and maple syrup into my life and using those as sweeteners. I didn't, I've never, I've never even tried saccharin and those, you know, the fake yeah. sweeteners, which is really weird. I never got into Tab or Diet Coke or anything. So I, and I kind of kept with the just maple syrup and so maple syrup and honey are just really nice, um, sweet and salty. They look. They they balance each other. The yin and the yang. Yep. Really and, well. And so you tell me about you just you're making these salad dressings. I'm assuming at home and for friends. And yep. how do you decide? Okay, I'm going to go to the farmers market. And was Mill City your first market? Okay, I <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a combobbled story. And I just told it to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and I was just amazed at how many times I've I've kind of reinvented our lives. But as an artist, I think you always have to have a craft in in your pocket. Yeah. You always, and, and the food industry is always, just like I've been an actor. So whenever I didn't have a job illustrating or being a mural artist, I'd always have to rely on my food. Yeah. For about 15 years, though, I had a really good business painting murals. I was really lucky. And in 2007, when that industry started dying with the home, home industry, yep. I was kind of scared. And I was working at Kowalski's. They were my last client, and I had painted, um, I don't know, like three or four rooms in their houses, including their kitchen. And while I was in the kitchen, I got to talk to them, and I took a chance. And I just decided, because I didn't have anybody else on my schedule for a while, and I was kind of scared. Yeah. And I kind of dug in my apron pocket and pulled out some of my salad dressing recipes. Because it had always been maybe a dream of mine or a pipe dream, but now I was kind of like, worried and I needed to do something. Yep. So I asked them what I should do. And, you know, can I get these onto the shelf of your market? And they set up an appointment with their new product manager in the Kowalski's markets. I went in to present and they loved them. She, uh, Terry Bennis was a woman that um, had me, I was presenting to, and she told me that we will put these on the shelf for you when you can learn to bring them to market. By that, she meant we want them to be um, shelf stable or yep. refrigerated shelf stable, and certified organic, and um, we want all the flavors you brought in today. And which ones did you start with? I started with the crisp apple maple, which has always been one of my favorites, and um, curry fig, and blueberry basil, and um, I had well, I had a few different ones, but blueberry basil, and then the pomegranate pear. Those were the seasonal ones that I was using for gifts because I would give them out as Christmas presents yep. and stuff like that. And um, I gave them a list of other dressings, and they said, let's start with these. And that's what we did. So to um, learn how to bring them to market, I decided to call an old friend of mine um, that owned Cafe Brenda and also Spoon River. Sure. And she was the brainchild for the Mill City Farmer's Market. And I kind of begged Brenda to let me have a space <laughs> there. And Brenda was very gracious, and she she invited me in and helped me tweak my recipes. And um, she said, come on in. And we went to Farmer's Market, Mill City Farmer's Market, in 2007. And the, after the first weekend, we sold out every weekend. 
and kind of incrementally um, raised our um, production line. Yep. And moved from the coffee cottage kitchen into the armory in White Bear Lake. Mm -hmm. And we could make more, but we were working Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights and getting up at three in the morning on Saturday mornings. Yep. Um, my son's girlfriend was helping me. I hired her full time to come to farmer's market with me. And she was not an early bird, so there was a lot of cranky people <laughs> in the car in the morning. But we made it, and it was really it was good for us to get there at that time because we got to see all the farmers coming at the same time, too. Yeah. It was really, really an eye-opener for me. I had met farmers at Madden's Pine Beach Lodge because yep. they used to come to the back door and deliver stuff. And then I also, when I worked for, um, I worked for Brenda at Cafe Cardamina, she also had farmers coming and knocking on the door and bringing produce that she bought local. And um, I really got to see these ki- these young farmers who had taken over their parents' farms or whatever coming in after, you know, going ahead and picking their crops the, the night before, washing, rinsing, displaying. Oh, yeah. I mean, their work was so hard compared to ours. We were whining because we had to run blenders and pour bottles of dressing. Yep. But when I got there, I stopped whining because I saw how hard these people were working, and it was just it was backbreaking work yep. for them. And it was amazing for us to be a part of that. So you hone your craft at the Mill City Farmer's Market, and then you go back to Kowalski's, and they take your dressings. Who was your second sale? It Well, the, in 2008, we stayed at Farmer's Market, at the Mill City Farmer's Market. It was really fun. Yeah. It was really a hard thing to quit doing. It was. I was addicted to it. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. And I ran to people like you, and yeah. it was just so much fun. I made so many friends there. Um, the second year there, we got to a point where I couldn't make enough. I yep. was kind of getting worried. And um, people were mad at me because our kitchen was too small. And, you know, everything was kind of growing and breaking. And we were um, sourcing our honey from a local um, honey um, facility in Cannon Falls in um, yep. uh, in Minnesota called Mellow Honey. And one day they called Jim back because Jim was my resourcing person. And they called him back and said, what are you making? And Jim told them. And they came down to the farmer's market the next weekend and took a taste of what we were making and called us the next week and said, you guys need a co-packer. And we were like, what's that? (laughs) And they said, well, we will bottle your dressing for you and help you scale up so that you can go ahead. Okay, how does that even happen? You're the only one sitting in this chair that the co-packer came to them. Good for you. It was like a great partnership. Yeah. They were looking, this, this, the man that bought Mellow Honey, he bought it from... I can't even, I can't remember the first company. He bought it out. He was a new CEO for them. He was actually traveling all over the world, um, going to different um, beekeepers in Vietnam. Uh, He was, he went all around the world and brought his sons with him just to find out what beekeeping was like all around the world and what, what kind of honey, the best grade honey he wanted to have and how to do that. Well, he was, he got good at that. But he needed to do something else. He, I guess the honey business just wasn't making it. Right. And they needed to diversify. And this was in a bad economy. So I think everybody was kind of learning yep. to diversify or reinvent themselves. So they thought, well, let's let's clear out a p- portion of our, um, our manufacturing facility and make room and co-pack for some new products in the Twin Cities and the surrounding areas. Smart. They were certified organic. Yeah. So immediately we were able to get certified organic. I had to, Jimmy and I found our organic resources. Yep. 
um, right when we started Farmer's Market, so we were set. Yep. We had everything we needed. And so we called Kowalski's and told them that we found a co-packer. And by 2008, March 2008, we got onto the shelves of um, Kowalski's. But in the meantime, all that summer of 2008, the first the co-ops, every co-op, the wedge came to us. Um, that's why we were getting so worried. Lens and Barley's came to us. Whole Foods. I had this buyer from Whole Foods stand across the aisle at Mill City Farmer's Market staring at me and taking notes. And I was like, oh, no, he's a food inspector. What did he do? <laughs> <laughs> and so finally I just left my booth and I was like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? And he introduced himself and gave me his card and he goes, this is really cool and we want you. The, it is. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound surprised because yeah. that's how good, honestly, I think your product is. Mm-hmm. You're so lucky in that regard. I'm so happy about that. Yeah, it's just, it's really, I mean, it's just pasty. Um, Thank you, Steph. Have you ever thought, or tell me, have you ever had like a situation where, so you have nine dressings now. Has there been a clinker or one that you've discontinued or that was terrible? Strawberry, we got rid of, well, you can kind of see in the sales. So we let it go and we push it and push it for a year. And if it's not, if its sales are like, you know, dangling solo below the rest, then we'll go ahead and just let it. So strawberry didn't work. Strawberry didn't work. It did during the, the spring and summer season, and then it just crashed. And that makes sense. It was a totally seasonal dressing. Right. But and blueberry basil seems seasonal, too. Blueberry basil, for some reason, is just a keeper. Yep. It's been, it, and it also, it, it's more savory. The, I think the strawberry was a little bit, plus it had tarragon in it. Mm-hmm. And it was just too out of flavor for a lot of people. Um, we try a lot of different things. We have like a little group of people that are trendsetters sort mm-hmm. of and um, younger folks and older folks, people in the food industry. And it's really important to just keep trying to stay up with the trends and, and throwing flavors in and pulling them out. It's hard, though. It's very expensive. Every time I put a new flavor on the shelf, it probably costs us about fifteen to $20,000. Wow. Okay. So it's a lot of money. I always get yelled at by my husband when I come up with a ding idea. Yep. <laughs> and I, you know, variety is the spice of my life. I love variety. And I think it's really important to keep my customer interested. And you're evolving, you know, non-GMO, non-soy, non-dairy. And now you have some vegan varieties that aren't flavored with honey, but that are flavored right. with maple syrup. Did Why did vegan become important to you? Or was it just a marketing opportunity? I've got people in my family that are vegan, people that I bring salads to on a constant basis, um, relatives and parties that we always go to. There are so many vegan people out there right now. And a lot of my customers have been asking for more vegan variety. And which dressings are vegan that you have right now? We have the dark cocoa and sea salted vinaigrette. That's a vegan made with organic maple syrup. And then we've got the crisp apple maple made with maple syrup. And then the two fruit juice sweetened only dressings, which I think are so cool and innovative because they're only sweetened with fruit juice, organic fruit juice, and that's the pomegranate pear and the citrus flash. And the citrus flash has taken off. It's been like a really good seller. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of getting up there with apple and lemon, which is cool. Uh, lemony herb. That's Lemony herb. Um, people were, and I think I came to this because of your cookbook, actually, so I buy your dressings, and I like them, and they're in the refrigerated section of my grocery stores. Then I started, and I think, again, it was because the cookbook, using them to finish meat. Yeah. Um, or using them as a flavoring for tacos. Yeah. 
when you introduced the chili uh, limon. Did you think about that as a way to expand the marketplace when you were creating them or just more salad dressing? I just felt that there should be a flavor for every um, for every person that is going into shop for Salad Girl and for every season and for every occasion. And, again, variety is the spice of life. Diversity is important to us. Um I'm the person that helped me with the chili limon was a really good friend from um, Guadalajara, mm-hmm. and she was in there and she would not let me put it on the shelf until it was exactly what she wanted. She wanted the exact chili flavor that she had tasted once, you know. Yeah, and it was something from her family, and I was really proud of it because I'm not I'm not Mexican and right. I'm not Spanish, so it wasn't really my you know thing. I love the taste and I love ethnic food. I really wanted her help, and she helped me. Um, so our Latino flavors are really important to me. Um, our Asian flavor is really important to me. The I would love to have more mm-hmm. because I'm really into all kinds of Asian foods. Um, you know, Japanese, Chinese, um, Szechuan. I like everything. And um, so, I, of course, I would like to have more dressings on the shelf. Right. <laughs> more spicy. You know, I like spice. But... Um, yeah, because you don't really have just like a flat-out spicy one. I would love that. The chili limon was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And um, we did our market survey, and we couldn't do it. Yeah. It was, we had such a small group, a really strong small group of people that wanted spice. I yep. mean, really big caliber of spice, but not enough. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The illustrations on your bottle and the packaging, is that all your yeah. work? And were you a graphic designer or you said you were a muralist? I went to school, took MCAD, Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and St. Kate's to become a children's book illustrator. <laughs> okay. I have yet to illustrate my own children's book. I would love to. But you did your own uh, salad book. I, you know, when they came to me, that I did, was doing a blog for Salad Girl, and um, Voyager Press came to me asking me, and I told them the only way I would do it is if I could draw some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, and sure. At, at first they were like, why? And I was like, well, because I really want to illustrate something before I'm out of this world. Yeah. So they were great, and they let me illustrate them, and it was really fun. So currently you are in a lot of stores in Minnesota and you're expanding into other markets. Um, What's the farthest out you are currently? We are throughout the whole Midwest. And does that feel exciting or nerve wracking? It's actually perfect. It's, you know, we can see that we can make a living in the Midwest, which is really cool. Um, we, We just got into 62 new stores, the Fresh Times Farmer's Markets. That's really exciting. Does that compromise any of your local feel or your local flavor? Because I know local was very important to you. I think local, you know, local is a different, um, you know, description. I think everybody's got their own sense of what is local. What is it to you? Midwest. Okay. I mean, it always has been kind of because all my relatives are from different parts of the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And so I always felt local that way. But then, you know, of course, Minnesota and Camp Wigan. Yeah, it's part of my life. Brainerd, it's part of my life. Um, you know, so I have my heart grows, you know, softer in different areas. But the Midwest, I really get the support here. We get to know all of our customers really well. That's a neat thing. 
I think we tried to get into New York last year and getting to know the customers there. They're different people, and I just had a harder time doing business there. Yep. It's done differently. And I'm used to Midwesterners, I guess. Well, and you're kind of, uh, I hope I can say this in a way that's not offensive to you, but you're kind of funny because you're super smart, you're unassuming, and you ask for what you want, which is a unique Midwestern thing, but you ask for it in a way that I can't imagine anybody saying no to you. Oh. Do you ever, like... <laughs> no, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> I mean, just, you're, you're a good person, you're a kind oh. person, you're a nice person, and I, I feel like people want to help people that are good people. So I can see that that's a big part of what the sale is and that salad girl feels so personal to you. Well, you know, I think that the integrity of the product really comes from our hearts. Jimmy and I are constantly fighting people that want to change it. Constantly. It's just... How do they want to change it? Big investors want to come in and make it shelf stable. Yep. They want a longer shelf life. They want to make it easier so that they can just, you know... Balloon out sales. Yep. We've said no to so many people because of that, and we're going to continue saying no to that, which is really good. There's, no, It's always going to be made fresh. Okay. That was my original thought process, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. And is that hard to have that level of commitment? Like, have you agonized over it, or were you just both clear? No, we were both really clear. Actually, we've gotten up and left meetings, which is really funny. And Jimmy's left first. And they've gone, okay, I got to go. <laughs> is it good cop, bad I gotta cop go. <laughs> between you and Jimmy? Sometimes, you know, I mean, he's really very clear. When he says no, he means no. I try to find some kind of compromise in there, and I'll try to sell them on something. I will try to do a, a, more of a soft sell. Yep. Um, you know, but then I really respect him. Um, he's my husband, and I never thought he'd be my business partner because when we went to farmer's market, he was not going to go. And he was sleeping in the basement for a while. <laughs> he was actually saying, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. And I knew we had to. And I'm so glad we did. Yeah. You know, I really am. Somebody said, once said to me, well, a couple of years ago, if you had it all to do all over again, oh, my God, it's been the best part of my life. It really has. Really? Besides grandchildren. Yeah. It's been the best part of my life. So the world of local and Minnesota makers is evolving, and there's probably more than there's ever been. And um, if you were giving someone that's young Pam, young salad girl Pam advice about being a maker, what would you say? What are the characteristics that that maker needs to have? Innovation. Huge. Number one thing, innovation. Make sure that there's a a special niche for your um, product in the marketplace. And there's a plethora of goods out there right now. You have to be able to stand out. And it costs a lot of money to even do something that's not standing out. Don't waste your money. Make sure that what you're picking and choosing to produce is going to stand out and sell. Um, When you look back, like if you were going to say to a maker today, you should probably have X amount of money to go on this adventure, what would you say is the minimum? We started at 10000 for Farmer's Market. Mm-hmm. That was that was what Your we budget. Yep, and if we didn't get anywhere, we're stopping. Um, I think probably starting out right now in this marketplace, go slow, do baby steps because you don't have to jump in. I see people jumping in right now, and I'm really scared for them. Mm-hmm. I see them um, hiring consultants that have never put a product on the shelf. Right, that really scares me. 
Um, so always, you know, if they're going to hire a consultant, always ask who they've helped and where are they now. Um, I think that I just there's so much. Take a class. Take a business class. It's really important. I think probably $250,000 is good, but don't go spending it right away. Right. Go really slow. And is there a local maker that you've watched that you admire where you're like, wow, that person is a real rock star? There's quite a few. Um, people that stand out to me right now, Noodles and Strand, really. You know, great people, integrity with their product, yep. love their product. We just actually all the time. released their podcast this week, oh, Dumpling and Strand, the Noodlers. Yeah, Dumpling yeah. and Strand. Yep. Um, great, great company, and I hope they do well. Nummies. I've been mentoring a young woman. Um, I don't even know what that is. Is it a bar? Fallon um, Finelli. And she has a gluten-free and vegan cookie dough. And she has been picked up from agriculture. Mm-hmm. She is their only dessert line, which is really cool. Yeah. I kind of talked her into going into food service and not having to do marketing. She's got two little kids at home. And if she doesn't have to get out and demo by doing food service instead of trying to become a product on the shelf, she's going to do better. I love that store or that agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. Those I salads. do too. The salads are great. There's I love be a going new one there. In Highland. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so. do they sell your dressing? No. I asked her about that and she said that they make their own. And I said, well, you know, stick your nose in there. And I, think, I was going to ask yeah. about that because, like, I know Kowalski's has a lot of people have what are called, um, what's the name of them when they're marketed in house brands? Oh, okay, sure. Uh, private label. Yeah, private label. Okay. That's what I right, mean. Right. Is that a competitor, a private label of a store or an opportunity? How do you see oh, that? I think both. I think that um, for the store, it's good business, definitely. Yep. For them to have a private label. Because they have more profit brands. margin, more That's, money. Right. Um, for a maker, private label and food um, service are both good avenues to take if you don't want, have the marketing dollars for. Um, know, to market your product um, because you won't have to. It's once it goes, once they put their label on it, you don't have to market a product. Right. You just sell it. Um, It's a done deal. And that seems like a good opportunity for people, I would think. think So it's a good business opportunity for for folks, especially with all the new people coming into the food industry. There's too much. Mm -hmm. You know, find a different avenue besides getting on the shelf. People are being turned down right now instead of being put on the shelf. And do you think that the whole world of farmers markets has changed too because there's a proliferation of markets? And is that good for the marketing or the industry as a whole? I think it's always good to have a farmers market. Yeah. I think it's, I've noticed that it, when I first started, there were hardly any product lines there. And as time has gone on, it's, you know, it's almost more products than produce sometimes. Right. And I learned, you know, I kind of got mentored. Salsalisa was one of my mentors. And first thing she said to me, before I, you know, after I talked to the Kowalskis, was she's a Matamidi girl. Yep. Was, or Birchwood. She said, take it to Farmer's Market. If you can't sell it there, then don't do it. Which good was advice. really smart. It was so good. She's so smart. Yeah, she's been on our program, too. She's a very interesting interview. Yeah. Um, can you think of a time where you just made a total mistake? Oh, yeah. I am not a public speaker. And I have said things, I'm kind of a food snob. I said I'm kind of a food slob. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, I was talking to a garden club, and I totally lost my train of thought. 
And I just was like looking at them like blank. Oh, you know? I have and a I speech do. coming up in a couple of weeks and I know that'll happen. I can't do it. I don't like doing it. And I, I, after I left that day, Sarah looked at me and she said, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> That's someone who works for you, I'm assuming. Yeah, and she's my sister-in-law and she's my littlest sister. Yep. And I really respect her. And she's really kind to me, and she would never say anything mean to me. And she said that, and I was like, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to take your oh, advice. I just can't stand it. This is this is great. I mean, you make everybody feel so comfortable. Oh, thanks. I have a genuine interest in hearing people's stories and just finding out how they do things. You mentioned um, cream dressings, that they're yes. not really for you, but it's such a huge marketplace. Oh, no, marketplace. no, no, I love them. I do love them. Because like, I could, do you see that in your future yes. at any time? Yes. There's Getting another. shelf stability on them is really a tough thing. We've been doing it, and we're in the process of doing it. And I would love to, to partner with an organic cheese company mm-hmm. and have a really, really, like a local blue cheese. Oh, yep. my God, it would be so amazing. Um but getting shelf stability. So we're getting innovative about that. So I've been really researching new um, ways to help with dairy stability. And I think that we are going to go non-dairy, except for the blue cheese. We're going to try to do a vegan creamy dressing. Huh. So Okay. And they actually taste good. They don't taste funky. Yep. <laughs> so we're working on that. So we've got them in the lab right now, and we're getting them tested. And you have to test them for six months. So we've done two rounds. We're on our second round, I hope by next summer. Okay, because I'll be interested in that and any vegan opportunities. There is this whole new group of foodies, too, that are very young and very health conscious. I mean, like under the age of 30. Yeah. Um, I guess that's not super young in comparison to me, but, you know, what <laughs> I, you got to deal with what you got to deal with. But there's this whole, like, whole 30 mentality and this low sugar mentality um, are you finding that that's bringing a whole new group of people into the dressing market? No, I, I'll go ahead and go with it. I'm not really a diet person, you know, so I don't get, I'm, I'm just a healthy eater. Yep. And I really um, promote healthy eating. And, you know, I swear, when I stopped eating cane sugar, it changed my life. Tell me about that. I was that. totally addicted to it, especially like in wine, you know. Yep. So much sugar. Um, I just stopped eating it because it just gave me a mean buzz. Yep. And it wasn't doing anything for me. And also, I think I'm a little hypoglycemic, so it just kind of made it really funky for me. And I would have highs and lows from it. And when I changed, when I went off it and changed that, Katie taught me that, it really changed things for me. It kind of got me a little bit more um, balanced. Yeah. And I really liked that. I felt better. I was never so tired. Um, my and, husband quit sugar about five years ago, kind of I mean, I by accident. Honey. I mean, I got to watch, you know, any sweetener. I mean, I love yeah. sweets. And he stuff. doesn't even really eat much of that. And when he eats sugar now, like if he eats, and on occasion, and he gets sugar in food that he yeah, doesn't really Yeah, me too. Really I go out for, for pie and I mean it. If he like eats, um, I'm trying to think, like if he gets into a bag of candy or yeah. something, he will, like his legs will be jangly all yeah. night and yeah. he just, he really struggles with it. Yep, Jimmy gets the buzz legs too. Yeah. From candy. Um, yeah. So, and the whole 30, I think it's great. I mean, people have come up to us and said, it's changed my life, that whole 30. Mm-hmm. Just eating so, fruits, vegetables, yeah, just no eat, dairy. And that's kind of a, a really good way to eat. Yeah. Low, low lean protein, fruits, vegetables, nuts. And it's so funny because people think it's going to, it's like, you know, taking something away from you. But when you start doing it, you're just like, you're not losing anything. 
someone that I know is doing it right now, I asked, like, are you feeling deprived? And they said, how would I be feeling deprived by eating all this awesome food? I know. It's amazing. Yeah, it was kind of funny. So, well, thank you, Pam Powell, for being here today. Uh, Saladgirl.com is where you have tons of recipes. What is the last salad you ate? And what was in it? I made an apple because it's apple season, so we're making a lot of apple salads. I made an apple and shaved fennel and a Merlot Sartori um, Bellavitano cheese with mixed greens and the crisp apple maple. And um, roasted pecans. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it sounds really good. I love apple season. I do too. And apples are so good with salad. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. In the base itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.